This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 39, Marcelo Balboa. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim Thompson, founder and CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, talks with one of the top players in U.S. soccer history, Marcelo Balboa. I've had so many coaches in my life that you always pick something up from every coach. And you're always learning, you know, it's not just soccer. When we play soccer, when I coach now, it's not about just coaching soccer. It's about developing uh, a young man or a young woman into being a good person, to understanding the, the battles of, of competition, of winning and losing, you're always a good sport, a good sportsman, of course, a good sportswoman. Marcelo shares his experience being coached by his father and being a coach of his son's team. He also discusses his youth soccer experience and coaches that have had a positive impact on his career. Lastly, he shares his experience as a coach and the future of soccer in the U.S. Marcelo, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Marcelo Balbola is one of the top players in U.S. soccer history. He played in the World Cup in 1990, 94, 98, and was the first U.S. player to reach 100 caps. He starred for Major League Soccer's Colorado Rapids from 96 to 2001, earning selection to five all-star teams and being named the league's defensive MVP in 1997. In 2005, Marcelo was inducted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Since ending his playing career in 2002, Marcelo has served as a soccer commentator and analyst for multiple networks, including NBC, ABC, and ESPN. He now coaches at Monarch High School in Colorado, serves as executive director for Treble Soccer Club, and is a board member for Positive Coaching Alliance's Colorado chapter. Last but not least, he is also a soccer dad, and his sons, Nicholas and Owen, are both promising athletes. Marcelo, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I just have to say, I'm really excited about your being involved as a board member for PCA Colorado Chapter. Well, thank you. You know, it was uh, it was something I saw, and in uh, youth soccer, you know, we, we try to move things and coaching and everything that we try to do in a positive direction, especially with the kids. So when I had an opportunity and I was asked to join the board, that was a, uh, that was a slam dunk. So it was an easy one for me. Thank you. Marcelo, I understand you played some of your first soccer on a team coached by your dad, who was a former professional player in Argentina. Can, can you tell us what he was like as a coach and how he balanced his roles in your life as coach and father? Uh, you know, I, there's many different ways, you know, that, that parents coach their kids. And uh, my dad was just a firm believer of uh, you work hard in practice, you work hard in the game, you practice the way you're going to play a game. So when you get to the game, there's no real transition. It's just what you're used to. So my dad was a guy who was uh, uh, very demanding. He pushed, he pushed, and he pushed really hard because he was an ex-professional. And, uh, and that's where we got to where we are today. You know, he, he made it clear to us when we were kids that he goes, if you're going to do something, uh, do it right, 
If not, don't do it at all because that means you're wasting time and you could be doing something else that that could be you know more productive to you. So if you're going to do it, do it right. And that's that's kind of been the the philosophy that I grew up with. So now your sons are are uh, growing up playing sports. What are you doing? Uh, what would you say you're doing the same as your dad did with you? And what are you doing differently? Um, you know, it's it, it's different. You know, it's a learning process. I think the hardest thing in sports, and then uh, and then being a father is coaching your own son because of the expectations that you know you played at a certain level, so you you expect your son to play there. And it was a learning curve. You know what? I had to learn how to how to coach him, how to handle it, how to uh, put uh, realistic expectations for my son, and all this, meanwhile, so he can enjoy the sport and want to play it more. So it's a learning process. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world. And it was, I tell you what, for me, it was harder coaching my son than, than actually being a professional athlete. How do you, how do you, you know, in terms of your dad's uh, high expectations for you and for your coaching, your kids, um, do you, do you try to be positive with them? Uh, you know what I've learned? Um, and you know, you have good days and bad days like anybody else. That's just part of life and part of coaching. But I've, I've always been through the examples of watching a long time ago of coaches of that sandwich theory. Uh, you always give a positive with a negative and then a positive. So you surround it with stuff that he did well, but you also tell him, hey, these are the things you need to work on. These are the things that can make you better. And then at the end, you end it with another positive. That's the way I've, I've learned. And, le- and let me tell you, it's not easy sometimes. Uh, that's just being honest. But it's a learning process. It's not something that comes natural all the time, um, but it was something that I learned, and uh, and I, I've learned through coaching my son that the best thing for me over the last probably five or six years when I coach is is to reinforce the kid what he's done well, and then kind of lay lay out what he thinks, what I think I should, that he could do a little better, and then again with ended with a positive. So you know you want the kid to to feel comfortable. You don't want him to feel threatened. But you also want them to realize that there's always, always growth. There's always opportunity to grow, in, uh, as a person, as in, in our sport. Yeah, you know, AYSO is a great partner of ours. And um, uh, how how did your AYSO experience contribute to your development as a player? Um, I played it a long time in California. So um, if it wasn't for for AYSO, um, we wouldn't have anywhere else to play. There wasn't really any leagues at the time. So AYSO was huge for us, and we moved into club later on. But the growth of my dad taking a team, it gives opportunity for parents to get involved, to to also give at every level possible nowadays from the academy to to club soccer, to competitive, to recreational, to developmental, to, to all different aspects of, of the sport. There's different leagues. So for me it was simple. It was a place I could play uh, and play soccer, and my dad coached us. So if it wasn't for, for starting with AY, so I don't know if we would have played soccer. You know, it's funny because soccer is so established in this country now and so many organizations, parents and kids have a lot of different options. But we have to remember that it wasn't always that way. And, you know, the people who started AYSO uh, really pioneers who, uh, who helped, uh, helped grow the whole sport. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, like I said, back when, when we were in California and playing soccer, club soccer wasn't huge then. ODP wasn't really, it was just coming onto the scene that people were starting to get to realize it. So most kids, I would say 70% of the kids play uh, AYSO. So that's where we all started from a long time ago. And like I said, you know, I'm thankful because 
Um, we came, my dad came to this country and he didn't really know too much about what, how soccer worked here in, in the United States. And the first thing we got involved is, and it was called the, uh, the the Tigers, you know, Long Beach Tigers, and that was our AYSO uh, first team. Well, that's great. You know, um, the, this this podcast is part of our Positive Coaching Alliance's partnership with Liberty Mutual Insurance, and the idea of responsible coaches uh, having two goals. One is trying to win on the scoreboard, but then using sports to teach life lessons that go beyond the game. Um, did, did you learn things from your coaches that fit in the, um, you know, outside the pitch category, the kind of things that helps you be successful in life? Um, you know, here's, I've had so many coaches in my life that you always pick something up from every coach. And you're always learning, you know, it's not just soccer. When we play soccer, when I coach now, it's not about just coaching soccer. It's about developing uh, a young man or a young woman into being a good person, to understanding the, the battles of, of competition, of winning and losing, you're always a good sports, a good sportsman, or of course, sports, sportswoman. So, um, winning and losing is always huge, and in youth sports is one of the biggest things. People, the 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 phrase that goes around is "win at all costs." Yeah. You know, and I think that uh, you learn that there's great examples from from coaches like that. You know, that you realize that it's just a youth sport. It's just kids playing and having fun, and we as parents or as adults try to live through our kids and try to make that better and scream and yell. And, it, and it, I tell you what, it, and over the last few years that I've taken over treble, I've seen it a lot more, you know, not just from uh, all different parts, not just from Colorado, from California team tournaments, but um, it, it's difficult. But you always can pick up something positive in life from every coach, be it, you know, about being a good person, about working hard and having goals, to, to being successful in life, meaning being a good person, help somebody else out. There's always a life in, in, in soccer and, and the way you coach it. So I try to bring both into, into my practices. Yeah. Is there one coach in you, that you had who stood out, uh, stands out in your mind as having helped you de- develop off the field? Well, I mean, I think that's an easy one. That's, you know, the role model you always have is your dad. Your dad's the one who, who coaches you at a young age that – that you follow, that you try to emulate what he does and try to be a good person like, like, your, like your parents. So the one coach, I mean, I've learned a lot from different, from Bora Militinovich to Bob Gansler to, to you name it, to Fernando Clavijo to all the coaches I've had and, and Leon Wendy Mendesaba, who I play for in Mexico. But my dad's been my, my life coach. My dad's been the guy that I've, that I've lived with, who I've looked up to. So out of all the coaches, you know, I lived with him and uh, he told me what was right and wrong and what, how life should be. And so it, it was my dad who I learned most everything from. That's great. <clears throat> you know, I think that uh, very often kids today uh, don't get a chance to, to work with their dads. You know, my, my dad, um, you know, grew up on a farm and when he was 12, he went out in the fields and worked with his dad and, and my grandfather and and he just loved it. And <clears throat> sports is, I think, one of the, the few places where kids and dads can really work together. No, I agree. I agree. But again, um, I think it's some of the hardest. It, it's some of it's one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have. You know, um, I've been out on fields where I've seen uh, a father and son uh, on a football field, and every time the play was done, the kid would look over at his father for approval. 
Wow. You know, and uh, and like I said, I think you, you learn a lot. And that, to me, that's still the hardest thing is coaching your own son is finding that fine line of positive and negative. And when you're done with the sport, you leave it on the field. He's your son. When you yeah. walk off the field, you go back to being best friends. You go back to being father and son. But it's it's not easy. It, you know, it, it, a lot of kids aren't don't get that opportunity that fathers to coach them but they're there on the sideline supporting them. And that's, you know, that's just as good as coaching because you're there supporting your son. So, again, to me, the hardest thing I've seen, and not just for myself and talking to other ex-players and in other sports, is coaching your own son is, is one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And, and it seems so easy. You know, right now the uh, <clears throat> a hot topic in soccer is, um, you know, U.S. Soccer Federation asking the top uh, top teenage soccer players in the country choose between their playing their high school team or the U S soccer Academy. Um, what's, what's your, what's your thought about that whole, that whole process? Um, you know, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, I didn't, I never played in an Academy. Lexi Lawless never played in the Academy. Claudia Raina never played in an Academy. Tab Ramos, John Hart, they didn't play in an Academy. They played high school soccer. They had fun. They got an opportunity to represent their school and have that pride to represent their school. So I think there's a place. I think there's a place for U.S. Academy. I think there's a big place for ODP because there's a big number of kids who aren't at the level of playing at an academy, but now we're trying to tell them that it's not okay to represent the state you live in and have that honor to play in a regional championships uh, because you're a second-tier player. That's not, that's, that's, that's not right. Um, and I don't think that this should stop them from playing high school because I can tell you what, coaching high school this year, um, we had an okay team, but the life lessons I learned from these kids this year of how they approach things, how they worked hard, and just the way they looked at life was absolutely incredible for me as a, as a dad and learning from an 18, a 17, and a 16-year-old that I got to say that taking that experience that experience away and that pride of being able to represent your school, uh, they shouldn't do that. Yeah, interesting. Um, some of our listeners may not know what ODP is. Can you, can you explain that? It's the Olympic Development Program, and it's basically what it used to be is that every, every kid in an age group, let's say the 98 boys, would all come try out here in Colorado for Region 4. Uh, they would take the top 18, they would go play a regional championships, and that means playing against California, Northern, Southern, Seattle, uh, Oregon, um, states, Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, and you would play a championship there. The winner of that would represent that region in the national championships. That would be from Region 1, which is the East Coast, Region 2, Region 3, and the Region 4. They'd play in a national championship game. Yeah. So, you know, one of the big concerns of this country is, you know, we've got such a big population, so many kids playing soccer, um, and the you know, expectations for the national team to become a world power are really high. Um, it, it, how, how does that affect, I mean, the, the, the millions of kids who play soccer who aren't necessarily going to be elite, aren't going to represent their country, how, how do you see that being balanced? We want kids to have a good experience, and we want to you know, become the best in the world. Uh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I think... The important thing is we keep growing the sport of soccer and we make them lifelong fans, not just fans for now because they're being at a competitive level. You know, I think the important thing is kids want to play, adults want to play. And sure, we all want to win a World Cup, but then so do, so do 
hundred other countries that want to win that have never won it before. So um, we're Americans. We want uh, we want the best. We want it now, and we want to succeed right away. Well, the beauty of sports is you never know. On any given day, anybody can beat anybody. But again, you know, I think you look at a country like Uruguay, a little over three million people, and look how look at the success they've had in, in World Cups with the players they have. You look at at a country, and I believe we're over three hundred million people here in the United States. So um, I think the expectations for us to develop better players, the opportunity that we have to develop players and all the kids playing here, that's where we look at and say, should we be better than we're at right now? Yeah, we should. We should because of all of the kids playing and everybody, the number one sport between the ages of five and 14 is soccer. So um, it'll grow. It'll grow in time. I think U.S. soccer did a nice job by bringing in Jurgen Klinsmann. Klinsmann's building from the youth system all the way up to the to the top senior team. I think the women's team has proven what they've done, and they're de- trying to redevelop soccer again here now because we dropped off a little bit technically on the women's side because you can see how Brazil and some of these other countries have caught. But we still do have the best women's team in the world. So it's just a matter of now of uh, making sure we take our time, make sure we build the foundation right, because if we don't build the foundation right, and if you have a crack, even if it's a small crack, an inch, a month from now, it'll be an inch and a half. And, a, you know, a year from now, it'll be two inches. And then you've got to go back in 20 years and break that whole building down because the foundation's not proper. So the important thing is let's build the foundation of youth soccer, of American soccer, nice and solid from the bottom up. And it'll grow. It'll take time, but it'll grow. You know, one of the one of the big things that Positive Coaching Alliance focuses on and, for, you know, for a responsible coach is how how kids how you help kids deal with mistakes? Um, do you do you have a, did when you were playing? Did you have a way of recovering from mistakes? Do you have a way that you teach your uh, players at Monarch High School or Treble um, how to deal with mistakes? You know, I, I've heard a lot of different philosophies and methodologies. What people like to use, and I think everybody's got to use what they have, but the important thing is is trying to convey it and trying to get the kids to believe in it. You know, for us, um, I had a coach when he was younger, all he would say to us is, that play is not as important as the next play. So the next play is the most important play in the game. So if you do make a mistake, it's okay. It's part of the game. It's how you recover, how the next play goes, that'll make it. So when I do play, uh, you know, when I do coach, I try to tell the kids, you know, making mistakes in soccer is part of the game. That's just what it is. It's how you recover. Do you put your head down or do you throw your hands up and walk after you make a mistake and hurt your team? Or do you forget about it? Do you chase the ball and you help your teammate get the ball back? Next play is the most important play. So I try to emphasize that part of it. The mistakes are common. Mistakes are made. But it's how you recover. It's how you re- react is the most important thing. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Um, you know, I think you had at least five different coaches when you were on the national team. Um, how, how was how was that in terms of was that difficult having a new new coach come in every once in a while? Um, it's always difficult because you got to prove yourself to the next guy again. But that also makes you a better player because you don't sit there and you know that you know if you've got a coach for five or six years, you know that that's going to be you're going to be the starter. Uh, you know, you get complacent a little bit, so. I mean, it's not ideal to have five coaches, but again, every coach taught us something different. You know, every coach, uh, take Bora Militinovich. Bora was a guy who motivated you. Bora motivated you, and he motivated this team from when he took over to when he left. 
that, you know, we can compete with anybody. He convinced us that we can compete with anybody. He drove it into us that we can compete with anybody in the world. And then we step out on the field in a semifinal game against Mexico, and we beat Mexico for the first time in 91. Wow. So now we believed in him. We believe that he could, that we could beat anybody in the world. And he was a motivator. You know, Bob Gansler was a tactician. He would put you on the field tactically and tell you exactly how to do it, how we're going to win. And this is, if you stick to the game plan, we got a good chance. So you learn something from every coach. Was it easy? No, it wasn't. But I will say it was probably one of the best things for us at that time because the player pool wasn't very big. And every time a coach came in, you had to fight for your spot again. And, and that complacency went right out the window because you knew that if you took something for granted, this coach didn't know you that well, he could get rid of you. One bad day could cost you your spot on the national team. A lot of pressure there. Um, you know what? Pressure, uh, pressure makes you play better. And that's something that in the United States we've realized, especially with our national team, when our backs are against the wall is when we play our best soccer. Yeah. <clears throat> um. You know, when, one of the things that we see, you mentioned earlier, the win-at-all-cost culture, um, which we really think is a problem in sports. Uh, trying to win is not the problem. You want to try to win, but it's that win-at-all-cost mentality. Um, and a lot of coaches just kind of go nuts when, when something when they're starting to lose, when things go against them, bad officials call. Did you have a way when you were playing uh, of uh, regaining your calm when something bad happens? Um. You know, when we played, it was a different. It was different than it is right now. You know, the way the referees call the game, and the way the referees handle the game. I remember back day and a few uh, when we started in MLS, first few years, uh, the referee was Essie Baharmis, and man, when he made a bad call, you would light him up like no tomorrow. And then you know, and we knew him, and he knew how to handle the players. And as soon as we took, and I remember I took a shot from about 25 yards, and I must have hit this thing at least 60 yards over the goal. And he says to me, turns around jokingly, but, you know, back then it was, he's like, it looks like you're not having a good day either like me, huh? And you just turn around and you laugh because it was a referee joking around with you. So, uh, listen, I, 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 if you go back to the old days, um, I didn't handle it very well, and we didn't have anything like positive coaching aligned, so... We reacted, we fought, we scratched, we tackled, and there was nothing really to, to guide us. And that's just a pure truth. You know, I mean, the only way you would calm down is if you got a good tackle in or if you made a pass or a good ball, then that would kind of settle you down a little bit. We didn't have the mechanism that the kids have now of, you know, uh, of using a word to calm yourself down to worry about the next play or a coach saying to you at the time the next play is the most important. You know, I mean, you didn't have that. Uh, in place. So it started happening for us, I would say right about 93, 94, right before the 94 World Cup is when they started introducing to to the national thing, they started introducing the sports psychologist. And as the sports psychologist came in and started talking to you, he started setting you up for ways of, okay, so if you do make a mistake, what would you do? You know, and we'd walk through that process and he'd say, well, try this next time. So I would say around 93, 94 is when we started as, as athletes to really believe, start trusting and believing in and that sports psychologist. Up until then, you know, you go back to some of the games in 90, 91, it was, it was a little crazy. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's great history. Thank you. You know, um, in Positive Coaching Alliance, we, we focus on developing a positive culture 
we, we talk about culture as the way we do things here. Uh, we're players, coaches, parents, and fans um, respect each other, their opponents, officials, etc. Um, what what do you do with uh, your Monarch High School team or at Treble uh, to help create a positive culture where everybody, coaches, parents, athletes, uh, you know, honor the game? You know, I was a little stumped because this is really the first time I've run a big club. And, uh, and I'll be honest, no no taglines, no nothing. I was fortunate enough, we have a guy named Lee Strongwater who brought the uh, Positive Coaching Alliance to us. Uh, we took a look at it, and uh, and then we started implementing that. We've had already two meetings, uh, one for our parents at Treble Soccer Club, and then we also did one for the coaches, which was, in ver- was very important and very uh, enlightening to everybody. So that's the way we're starting to push ahead because the biggest problem, like I said before, is is not getting the parents that need to go there because there's parents that don't need to go there because they're they're on the sidelines they're positive it's getting that group of core parents who are just abusive on on the sidelines and those are the those are the parents that that we have to we have to teach better behavior and I'll give you an example this past weekend or two weekends ago we had our tournament and these two girls went shoulder to shoulder right near the parents' bench, the opposite, the opposite parents. The little girl goes down, and I swear, now five to ten parents start clapping and going, hey, hey, get up. And I'm sitting there going, this is a 13-year-old girl who fell down who's crying because she hurt her shoulder. And the parents were making noises mm-hmm. like crying little baby to get up. And the best thing I saw, the referee walked over to these ten parents and said, you should be ashamed of yourself. If you do that again or if you behave like that, I will kick you out of the game and you will be gone for the rest of the tournament. And I got to say, that was, that was a big moment for, for everything that we've been trying to do because of the fact that the referee saw it, he stood up for it, and made the parents aware of how bad they behaved that day. So I think little steps are going a long way, and that's why when I saw this Positive Coaching Alliance you know, it was it was a great example of, of what we want to do with our club. Wow, that's a that's a great story, and you're right. Uh, parents can get uh, totally out of control, and probably probably those parents went home and and thought about it. It's like, oh, what <laughs> what did I do? I would hope. I really do would hope because I would hate to see if that was their child and the other parents did it their child. How would they would feel? And this is a, like I said, a 13 year old girl, 14 year old girl who fell down, and you know, I just it's just these are kids. They want to have fun. They want to be able to play. They want their parents and other fans to support them. And, uh, and that's why I say I think it's important. And that's been the biggest problem. And I, I don't think just in soccer, just in sports in general, is how, how vicious a parent could be because he gets emotional into a game. You know, I think part of it is we try to uh, remind people that um, we're, all, we're all part of the same community. You know, yeah, you know, my kid's team is trying to beat your kid's team, but... Ultimately, as a country, we need all of those kids to, to do well. Yep, exactly. Marcella, thank you so much. This was great. I think um, you know there are going to be uh, sports parents and coaches and, and athletes as well who are going to hear this podcast and really, uh, really appreciate it. So I, I appreciate your taking the time to, to talk to our responsible sports listeners. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me, and, and I do appreciate the, the time we have spent together. And like I said... I'm not perfect, but I can tell you as a, as a parent and as a coach, um, I'm learning too still. And I think a lot of parents are, 
but I think if we keep if we keep doing the right thing and, and exampling our kids, that next generation of coaches will understand where where we're coming from and how we should behave. That's beautiful, Marcelo. Thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.